0: Hi everyone, Jen DeWall here, and on this week's episode of The Leadership Habit, I interviewed diversity and inclusion thought leader, Alicia Jesson. Now let me tell you a little bit more about Alicia. Growing up in a small town in Iowa, as a biracial, first-generation Afro-Latino American, Alicia has always had a strong passion for inclusion and diversity. As the first family member to attend university, Alicia learned early on that her path was not only to build a more inclusive community, but to be a light and bridge for other underrepresented people to realize their personal and professional potential. Having served in the education, startup, marketing, and now technical sector with Tech Systems, the nation's leading IT services and staffing firm, she understands the nucleus to how every company thrives by emphasizing their people. With multifaceted experience and Moxie, Alicia is here to help companies take a look at their current workforce, realize their talent opportunities, and create plans that impact teams individually and organizationally. Alicia has her degree from the University of Northern Iowa and is the founder of the largest women in tech meetup organization based in Denver. Please join us in our conversation as we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workforce and how you can create a more inclusive space. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall, and on this week's episode of The Leadership Habit, I am talking to Alicia Jessup, and we are going to have a big conversation today talking about the subject of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, it might be something that you've probably seen a lot of lately as a result of the civil unrest and what happened with Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and so many others. But we are talking about what it means in the workplace. How can we make sure that we're creating a place for all of your employees, for you as leaders, to create a place where they feel safe, they feel supported, and we can all work together by respecting our differences, understanding our differences, and connecting. But before I go so far into this, Alicia, for those that don't know you, could you please just go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Yes. Hola a todos. Buenas tardes. I'm Alicia. I'm based out of Denver, Colorado, and currently I'm an inclusion and diversity manager for a
0: tech company. And Alicia, what what does that mean to be a diversity and inclusion manager, to be someone that's working in that space? Because that's really new for some people. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because, well, it's not
1: funny, but I would say up until a lot of what we've been experiencing in quarantine, I would say just a still percentage of my job was explaining the functions of an inclusion diversity practitioner and how that shows up in the workplace. And now I think we've hit a point where people are like, okay, cool. How can you help? How can you help? Like that aside, logistics aside, how can you jump in here and help? And so when I think about what I'm doing and what I'm trying to achieve, really the heart and center of it all is to create more equity and systems that have not been built with equity in mind. And that is a thought process and a philosophy and my leadership style that I've taken from Dr. Nita Mosby-Tyler, who's based here out of Denver as well, who founded the Equity Project. She's she's just such a thought leader for me. And the first time I've ever heard her say that that's been cemented in my brain. So it is helping lead and create equity in systems that have never been built with equity in mind. But then we talk about it from the inclusion and diversity angle too, and really with, with the people that we're bringing into our systems. And allowing and creating space for them to feel like they belong and also create the space in which the variety that is diversity can thrive.
0: Yeah. How do you define diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because for some people, they might understand maybe one of those words. They might understand diversity, but not necessarily equity, or they might understand inclusion, but not necessarily something else. So if we're looking at the three and why all three of those words, powerful they are, or excuse me, they are powerful and why they all matter. That's all a part of creating that great place. How do you define that in an organization or maybe said in a different way? What does it look like?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, that I think is just a crucial question to really understand. And it shows up Differently with some of the clients that I'm supporting, or just conversations that I have more at the consulting end. And so I, I like to break it out in just a couple of ways. I think there's, of course, the textbook definition, like let's make sure understanding that we're understanding just foundationally what these terms mean, but then also more of the working and maybe philosophical definition too. So I think for anybody that's listening, a really great exercise could be for you and your org is to sit down and Define it first for yourself. Hey, as an individual, what does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean to me? And then for my team, what do I see diversity, equity, and inclusion meaning? And then taking it a step further, the third response for your organization, and doing some comparing and contrasting analysis to say, hey, where are some gaps with how we're defining this? And where are some opportunities to which we can start to really build or enhance a strategy that we might already have? So To revisit it, let's start with the textbook because I think that again is just so important to make sure that we're all under, on the, on a similar foundation. So diversity just by definition is, is variety, right? Having different elements. And then inclusivity is more of a state, a quality, a policy to really not exclude or leave out. And then equity is being fair or impartial. So then we kick it over into looking at it from a working definition and maybe more thematic or philosophical, just depending on, you know, where you're at in the journey. And inclusivity then is starting to feel around that sense of belonging and belonging as my whole self and and if that's happening or if it's not. And from an organizational standpoint, I see inclusivity as understanding the value that your employees have when they start to feel included. And um, the Society for Human Resources Management has a definition that I really love. They have an article like six steps for building an inclusive workplace. And they use a choir analogy and having my show choir background really stood out to me. And inclusivity is, can we hear all the voices? And are we appreciating all the voices in this choir? Are they contributing to the performance? And I think the best organizations that I've seen really grasp inclusivity are um, really understanding how each member of the choir is contributing to just the overall harmony of the entire performance. Diversity now and more of a working themed sense is thinking about all the different characteristics that we have and could have and, um, having leadership and your d i team come up with this. So of course you've got like your protective characteristics, right? In corporate America, race, gender, sexual orientation, but moreover, w- there's a d- element to diversity that I would say is below the waterline, right? So when we're talking about the glacier, you can see above the waterline. And oftentimes that's even just smaller than the vast amount of diversity that lies underneath. And I think that's the second level of diversity that organizations that are ahead have really started to grab onto. And that's experience that individuals bring, that's the talents that they bring, the skills, their opinions, their education, their background, um, socially, economically, things that might not always just be visible to the eye as well, that really, really can enhance an organization and allow for that variety to come together. And when it all starts to feel like it can belong to really thrive. Equity is the piece I still think needs the most intentional conversation and understanding across organizations. I think still to this day, individuals and organizations are mixing equity with equality. And I will share that I actually have conversations with a lot of peers and in, 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 in the tech realm that believe in equality first, even after understanding the definition. And I think for those that are listening, I would encourage you all to, after this, revisit both terms for yourself and just see where you're landing within within um, the radar of the two, because you might be surprised in what you
0: might uncover. So yeah, what, uh, what is the difference between equity and equality? And in this instance, like what distinction are we maybe looking for or where have we been missing the mark?
1: So there's a, another platform that I follow, HR technologists, and their definition of equity is a state where everyone, regardless of their ethnic background, country of origin, age, physical ability, Disability or gender has a level playing field. So, equality though is the sameness, and that's just equal for everybody. But the fact of the matter is, Jen, is that institutions today are marginalizing and there is disenfranchisement, disenfranchising of individuals and inequity. So, to say, hey, we just want equality for all is not a fair statement because it's still going to hinder those that have historically been underrepresented. And um there is an artist, let me make sure I get their name right. A- Angus McGuire, I think is their name. Oh, we'll have to double check that. But they have a really popular illustration on helping define and create the difference between equity and equality that you might be familiar with. And it's three individuals that are looking over a fence, and they are different heights, these three individuals that are trying to look over the fence. And so there are a few different stepping boxes that these individuals are standing on to be able to see over the fence. The person that's the tallest has access to these boxes and is standing on the boxes, even though without the box, they can still see over the fence. And there's a person who is the middle height and then somebody who is the shortest. And the person who's the shortest only has access to one box and they still can't see over the fence. So the theory is if we were to apply that with equality versus equity, if things were equal, they'd still all be on the same box and two of them still would not be able to look over the fence. So we need to be equitable and recognize that, hey, before we get to equality, we need to help people catch up that historically been underserved and provide them with boxes so that they can then see over the fence as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like, I love even just the phrase of catch up. So, this requires people to recognize, you know, one of the basic things with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And our responsibility as a leader is to recognize that there were systems in place that may not have provided equitable options for people. And I know right now there might be some people that are, you know, really just trying to think that through, and that's okay. But we, we know there's evidence. We can even just look at pay as like a basic one to know that pay, especially women or people of color and the discrepancy between what someone makes like a what a white man would make versus a person of color. And knowing that there is an the example of just an inequity that has no true, I guess, Maybe this is the wrong way of saying that, but validation into why that is, right? Because it's not about skill then. It's not about, you know, tenure. It's, it's, it comes back down to something that should never even be a basis of judgment, which is the, you know, a person of color, like, or having a different type of background or that, like, none of that makes sense. And so knowing that mm-hmm. we need to catch up on the things that were put into place, what I would argue for no reason, like there's no rhyme or reason to ever discriminate or not pay someone what they deserve to be paid if they're at an equal playing field with someone else. But we need to understand first and admit that that actually happens. And me as a white woman, I absolutely understand my privilege. And you know, we were talking about this before, and I'll, I'll just share it for those because. Alicia, Alicia, and I are going to go deep in this podcast conversation because it is a really important conversation to have. But from my perspective of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I have a family where my aunt and uncle um, all they adopted four children. They, I have four black cousins that I love so much. And the unique thing is that we grew up; we were the same age. So my cousin Todd is my exact age. She's thirty seven. I'm thirty seven. And so growing up with him, watching how in my small town, people would treat them differently just because of the color of their skin. I never understood it growing up. Like it just never made sense to me. Like, why are people saying Mm. that? And even into our adult lives, like my cousin and I are very close hearing his experiences in the workplace. Like he has been called an affirmative action hire. He has been, you know, reprimanded for being too brotherly. And these are things that we, you know, we may not like to hear. We might, say, or maybe you didn't experience that or you don't know someone, but just because you haven't experienced it, that doesn't mean that we can't start to open our eyes to understand that it's happening. And that's why we're having this conversation and gosh, there's so many different ways, but that's where equity has to exist. You may not have had that shared experience. You may not have been familiar with anyone, but I encourage everyone to really think like, could there possibly be truth to what you may not be adding truth to. And I, of course, know that there is because I've watched it with Impact My Family, but I want other people to start to see this isn't a way that we're trying to bring someone else down. This is understanding that these inequities have been there and it's time to address them. Like we need to make Mm -hmm. sure that everyone has that same, sorry, I I went on a tangent Mm -hmm. there. You are the expert. I am not.
1: (laughs) Stop. No, 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 no. I am not the expert. I am simply here to just bridge this communication and these conversations with the hope that if I can also provide some tools and some resources and some parameters that we all mobilize to change because the fact of the matter, this fight for equity under the lens of racial injustice and really of the power play that is our society is in everybody's role and responsibility. I really, really believe that. And I think, you know, for those that I think, first off, if you're listening to this willingly, the chances of you are not being a a believer and in the stake in this and the responsibility in this is probably low, but you might be connected with those that are still struggling with this or are still on the side of the fence that's like, no, I'm not seeing this in my organization or that's not true or we're fabricating it. It's, um, it it's, how do, how do I want to say this? I think, Well, we'll skip that. We'll skip that. I'll come back to my thought on that.
0: No, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, the other opportunity for leaders right now is to, and it's what you wrote about in one of your articles, talking about that now. Like if we think about the starting point, like now is the time where we have to stop being silent. So if you are a leader listening to this and you may agree with everything that we've talked about so far, maybe you've had that, but maybe you haven't said anything Now it's it's your responsibility as a leader to make if you're creating that that place for people to feel safe, productive, um, valued, respected for their differences, valued for their differences. That now is no longer the time that we can be silent about it. That there might be some people Mm -hmm. that have witnessed it. I know I have seen it and not always absolutely been comfortable being able to address it in that situation. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that because I have family that I know is marginalized by this. So I. I don't want you to judge yourself for not being perfect and how you approach this. But now is the time. Like you talked about it. I want you to hit that point. But now is the time where we have to stop being silent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's partially where I want to go with that, right? And I, I struggle partially because it evokes just a lot of emotion. And I think for me, it's partially... Frustrated, like how how can we not see that this is an everybody role and responsibility? But moreover, it really is the major demographic. Like if we can agree that a lot of the conversation yielding around diversity, inclusion, and equity is stemmed back from the racial injustice that we're seeing, then we need to really look ourselves in the mirror and look at each other and be like, well, where does the the power and the oppression really start to come from? And that is the majority demographic that is white people, and I think to really, really get good with that. It's not, a, I'm angry at you, Jen, like, how dare you? It is like, hey, what can you help do? What can you help contribute in this big fight and this big movement that we're all really in right now? And I think, though, it breaks my heart that a lot of this energy is stemming off the assassinations of beautiful Black people, that it's creating some awareness now that we've been in the confines of quarantine, that I don't want to stop, especially looking at the work that we have to do in corporate America, because that is where some of the ugliest witnesses to systemic inequity lie, and where arguably some of the most work needs to be done, just considering how much our corporations shift and drive our working world, our social world, that then impacts our personal world as well. And now that we're starting to see it integrated, I'm even more motivated to really come in and say, hey... If it's at the expense of you and I have a conversation where I lose my thoughts a little bit, because I like still have to push back tears, and it's okay. And I'm here for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Alicia, where, like, why? You know, we talked about this from a very personal perspective, but if you guys need to hear the numbers and understand how racial inequity, not bringing everyone to the table has actually cost your business. Let's talk about like the case, the building the case of why you want to make diversity, equity and inclusion a part of your organization's strategy. What are the benefits Mm -hmm. that teams, leaders or organizations have when they create a place where everyone can thrive? What are those benefits? Mm. You know, it's,
1: it's, you can look at it a couple different ways. And I would encourage people to, you can look at it internally with just your employee base, right? And creating an environment where people can show up feeling like they can be long and feeling like they can be the best version of themselves, the authentic version of themselves. However you want to highlight it semantics at this point, creating a space where people can show up and thrive because the more energy that they're spending, hiding parts of their identity or covering up parts of their identity, the more energy is being spent that could be going elsewhere and probably to help highlight and impact the business. So that's just at the individual level, right? And then you look at it collectively and how when we don't create spaces of belonging and that sense of belonging, what starts to happen? Well, we start to see levels of attrition and knowing how competitive the workforce already is, especially in, sector, in sectors like technology, it really is not a strong business angle to not focus on levels of inclusion. Because at the rate you're going to lose people, not only is going to be costly from a a replacing standpoint, but just an overall intellectual property standpoint that you then are also losing as they head out into another company. And then you mobilize a group of people that also start to feel a certain type of way about your institutions and how they might not be creating spaces of belonging. Then now we're starting to look at some brands problems there too, and how your company is really getting marketed out to the world. So that's how I could you know, just sum it up from an internal standpoint. Then I want to look at it externally. At the very least, if you can't justify or really understand why the case for diversity would be important internally, then look at it externally. Who are your demographics that are purchasing or connected to your business? And how are you reflecting their makeup? Because that's where we really start to leverage bias and leverage it for a way that actually benefits us. If we can match more of the demographics internally um, from our client base externally, chances are there's going to be some similarities, some likeliness, some some likeness that's going to be embedded that's going to set your business up for more success. So anytime I'm having a conversation with somebody in the tech sector, a colleague, a, 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 maybe a client at the leadership level, that's still like, eh, I'm not all the way bought in, but I know my boss is really harping on this. I'm going to focus on d What can you all do? I really challenge them to think about their customer base and the reflection of their customer base and where they're at within that spectrum to help highlight that, hey, at the very least, look at it from the business standpoint in that manner. And the other thing that I would add to that really, aside from people just doing their own searches to really get Great understanding. I know McKinsey and Company probably has some of the best curated content out there for making the case to why DI better serves your businesses and all levels small, medium, large, internationally, here locally
0: within the United States. You know, we're having the, obviously this big, big talk, and right now we're in the middle of you can call it a movement, and there's a lot of organizations that maybe are jumping on and they really want to create. More, a more diverse, equitable, and inclus- inclusive workplace. But how do mm-hmm. we make sure that it's not just a moment in time, that this is actually something that is sustainable, that it, it starts from here until the end of time? It's not something that they're just doing in the back half of 2020 because we're seeing it on the news. How do we make that sustainable in an organization?
1: That is, I could piece that apart so much and help direct. And I think the short answer, it is going to really, really be varying from organization to organization. So I think that's really important to know. I think if I could offer some holistic pieces of advice in regards to how we can make sure it's going to be sustainable, I think the first thing that we need to come to terms with, and this is something that I wake up every morning really notating for myself, but that still fuels me to keep on this mission is that I don't know. Well, first, if we can agree that the heart of this work is really to create equity, I don't know, Jen, can like truly that we are going to achieve that in our lifetime. I I just, I, I think this will be a fight that will go long after my last breath in this world. And there is power within that because that to me is leaving and creating a long lasting legacy. And so when I think about, okay, how can I help or what can I, what can I share to really incite organizations to make this sustainable? It's not the passion where I see people falter because if anything right now, one could say, this is the most passionate come to awakening. We've really seen our society have a lot in terms of some of the racial uh, unsettling injustice that we've witnessed and through different mediums. Social media has become way more accessible than maybe what we've had historically in the access to one another that I think has definitely heightened that. So it's not the emotional aspect. It's the logical piece of it and the logic to drive programs that will then be sustainable. So I think for people that are listening that have that passion and desire, which is probably why they're showing up to listen to this podcast, I encourage them to start to put some parameters that are programmatic that will then help you be sustainable and really plant some roots in. Now, and the way in which you do that might be a little different, but I think the basics are really understanding that this work is organizational change management. And it was my current director, Franklin Reed, that helped me really understand that is that when we talk about organizational change management, we're also talking behavioral change management. And that is connecting to cards, but also connecting to minds. And I think back to the business case for why diversity and inclusion is important is because we know that it can help enhance your business. So let's take a logical approach to enhancing that business. Maybe looking at some key performance indicators, categorizing, identifying, reviewing resolving risks that you might come up with, defining your timeline, strategizing and looking at improvements along the way. As we said, hey, can we get this through our lifetime? Like how do we create sustainability through our lifetime? That's gonna take a lot of iterations and a lot of revisits and probably some tweaks along the way. And that is okay because it shows that, that nimbleness that we need in this. The second piece, this is around the organizational change management. And I think taking an approach like that to seed in a really strong program will then help it make it be sustainable. And that's really understanding the current state of your organization, probably through some data. Hey, maybe you can work with your talent acquisition teams, your internal recruiters, you know, succession, what it looks like from hiring, pay, attrition, demographics, ethnicity reports. Et cetera, looking at the current state and then coming together to collaborate with the, with the, with the correct stakeholders and people needed to say, what's our future state? Where, where are we trying to go within this? And remember, taking it back to what I said at the beginning, once you foundationally understand what diversity means for your collective, what inclusion means for your collective, and then what equity means for your collective, and then the transitions from there. Or you know, again, back to the communication. And it's sometimes I like giggle because I'm like, does this sound silly? But I'm like, no. Like it's really groups out here that struggle communicating with each other. The leadership engagement, the organizational alignment, the the readiness for it, the vision and the value, and then realizing what training and support will coincide with that to keep that sustainable program nimble and thriving.
0: I love that how you. You know how you describe it in terms of this is a behavioral change management strategy and it's change management. And I think people sometimes forget that to, you know, change a behavior, it's going to take a lot of reinforcement. It's going to take a lot of communication. It's going to, you know, require us to look at our areas of opportunity or what needs to be let go of. But we also need to understand that it is also emotional too. People hold on to Mm -hmm. things. They become, you know, afraid. There might be people that have been marginalized that are afraid to speak up. There might be, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but we do need to recognize this as a change strategy. We are changing the essential like attitude or culture, if you will, of your organization for how you're going to embrace and look at diversity as just this great gift that's going to strengthen in so many different ways, the offerings, the ability for you to drive results. I mean, so many benefits of that. Hi everyone, it's Jen and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Are you looking for a proven program to improve your management team's communication skills and create happier and more productive employees? Are your leaders able to take your strategy and break it down effectively for their teams to achieve your vision? Are they able to inspire and motivate their employees to produce real results and meet daily demands? Great managers don't happen overnight. Partner with Crestcom to develop your team and obtain results. Whether you are looking to improve employee engagement and reduce turnover or cultivate a more inclusive culture, our intensive leadership development program provides a diverse set of tools and skill sets for leaders to thrive in today's workforce. Contact us at crescom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. You no know, you talked about the conversational piece because that is one of the more challenging pieces that there's a level of discomfort that i think comes from all sides of it like how do i talk about this how do i share my experiences about being marginalized where people will take me seriously and not just say well i haven't seen that so that couldn't happen or how do i show someone that i am there to support and be an ally and advocate and that i as a leader am not going to tolerate any of that or any level of discrimination how do we start to be bold and have those conversations that we might be a little nervous because we've not had them before? How do we start to have those? Or what can leaders do to to even begin?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think back to the article that I had put out there around your silence, titled Your Silence is Betrayal. And especially at the leadership level, now is more urgent. It's never been more urgent for you to show up and Hold that space for your teams to engage in this dialogue because though the times are unfortunate, if I can be a person on the side of optimism for a second, I can only think about beautiful experiences that have derived from space being held in which I can get to know my colleagues and my peers in a deeper level and that, to me, is the really uh, the essence of work-life integration. I think historically, our organizations and our, our working organizations were set up in a way that said, "Hey, Jen, you know, we, we're not going to talk about politics here. We're not going to talk about religion. We're not going to talk about certain things." And for a long time, we we have been conditioned to deem that as inappropriate. But now, what we're witnessing again under such really really sad times is that hey Alicia I know you just saw over the weekend another unarmed black man be shot at the hands of police but when you log in for your 8 a.m stand-up meeting can you compartmentalize that you leave that there because we just we don't that's not really fits within our, our culture and our values and you can't do that you can't that's not fair and I really don't know how from a humanity standpoint we can ask that so now it's hey Maybe we're not going to be able to identify the crux of all the racial and social and inequity that is been embedded into the founding of the United States, but can we take a look at our organization and see where there are opportunities and gaps in which things are a little inequitable? or um, non-equal in certain parts and determine how collectively we can focus on this to move our business forward. I don't think that's a hard ask at all. In fact, I think that is the necessary ask to grow and advance your business. And that was what I was going to say earlier, that I think people need to realize and be okay not tiptoeing around. Diversity and inclusion yields business results. We are a capitalistic world. Let's just honor the capitalism that was in that. It's not mainly just to make me feel good around, oh, there's more people that look like me in this organization. It's, hey, more people like me that can contribute great information and great value add that is going to move this business forward. It is okay to say that D and I yields business results. Yes. Yes,
0: yes, yes business yes. results. Yeah. Well, and just being like having the conversation and, you know, just being, being willing to talk about it. I love that. Not making it taboo. Like I know that in the earlier part of my career there, I've absolutely worked for an organization where you did not talk about politics, right? That was so taboo, but gone are the days. And I think the pandemic, you know, combined with everything that we're seeing as a result of George Floyd and just all of the, like all of the issues with the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, it's now just finally an opportunity for us to, wow, like finally have those conversations. Wow, finally, like reflect and say, like, what has been happening that I've been allowing to happen? Wow, what's my role in this to be able to help make it a a great place for people to live and work? And of course, yes, we know that the business is going to have results because then you're not forcing people to compartmentalize. And that's where I was going with this. You know, gone are the days that we can't just pretend that people don't have emotions or that things that happen outside of the workplace don't walk in the door with your employee. They absolutely do. And what your employee needs from you as a leader is knowing that you are a safe space, that even the stuff that's Mm. happening outside, that you are not going to be discriminated. You are not going to have to bear the burden of that in your place because you're in an organization that sees you, that values you, that wants you there. And it's okay to be emotional about it. How could you not? How could you not be emotional or have a variety of different attitudes for it? And I think this is just a great time for leaders to really step up and recognize that emotions are a real part of work. We spend a third of our lives at work and we're going to have emotions that come into work and and we need to make sure that we're listening to that and that, hey, if there is something that's going on, like not being afraid to have the conversation, like checking in with someone. Especially during, you know, right after George Floyd, and even obviously till, still today. Like, are you checking in with your people of color and doing it in a sensitive way, where you're not like, "Well, you must have something to say about this." Like, you can't make that assumption either. But saying like, "Hey, how are you doing?" Given everything that's happening outside, are you feeling okay? Do you need a minute? I mean, if I tell you, I feel like it's far more easy for someone to say like, "Oh my," you know, outside of this, like I, I have a really sick grandmother, and they'll be like, "Oh, you know, no big deal." Like take time for you. But if I say, Hey, like outside of this, there is something that's really making me feel unsafe. It's making me feel marginalized. We don't necessarily extend that same courtesy. And we have to start to do that. We have to start to say like, yeah, do you need some time? Or do you need to talk about this? Like I get how that could emotionally impact you.
1: Facts, 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 sing it gal. And you know, that's also something that I really put in my article that fueled a lot of my passion and energy around that was comparing what we saw weeks after COVID and how that gap in leadership really shifted. And I think in due to historically not being conditioned and probably leaders not having the feeling like they were equipped with the right tools and the resources because of the shock in which they might have felt, and I think that's something that as a practitioner, I am signing up for this work to help curate, but I want to just remind people and encourage people that beyond the couple of tools that I could help frame and put together, it really is just coming down to compassion and the center of this, the human connection and recognizing um, you know, who we're talking to on the other side of the table, regardless of what they look like. And I want to touch on something too, that you just brought up with, you know, Hey, checking in on our underrepresented employees, definitely. But also another side to this is people who are in the majority group, white people that have since felt this overwhelming sense of guilt and their emotions, given everything that's happening. What do I do? Where do I go? I feel so overwhelmed. I'm so emotional. I'm upset. And while I think guilt is absolutely such a valuable emotion to feel, it should be the one of the first emotions that are felt and not something you harbor in because that then starts to get projected and actually starts to smother probably your colleagues who are already underrepresented and really doesn't enact change. I think guilt can be an incredible feeling to help mobilize change. So for anyone that's listening, that's been in that space for a minute, because you're not quite sure where to go, maybe your organization hasn't provided clear direction that we were saying earlier, like, Hey, we can't clearly take on everything as it relates to systemic inequity, but we can definitely funnel it into what's appropriate for our organization to make change. And if that hasn't happened yet, I can understand maybe some of the feelings of that continued guilt, but I encourage you to maybe take on that leadership for yourself and figure out avenues to which you can have conversations that will then drive change. Yes. You can't have everybody sitting up in guilt right now.
0: Mm -mm. No, and I, you know, I have to say that because I I do feel guilt sometimes. I have absolutely, like I would say probably 85, 90% of the time, I will address any type of, like anything that I hear where I'm like, that's not okay. But there are still instances where I, went silent. And those make me feel bad, not only for my, um, for my family members that are people of color, because I feel like I let them down, but I can't live there. I have to own it. I have to recognize that, you know what, there are still some times where I didn't show up in the way that as a leader, I should have showed up and I have to own it. I have to talk about it. It's even uncomfortable for me because if I know my family hears this, like, I don't want them to know that I'm not, you know, always addressing that 100% of the time. But I also can't live there because then I'm not going to be able to make change. And I also can't live there because then I can't show people that we're not expecting you to be perfect 100% of the time at how you address this, but you've got to keep working for that future state. Like You've got to think about what you need to create, how you can do better, how you can make it. And, and it's not just talking about it. It's actually being about it, right? You have to own that stuff. Mm. You can't let it control you, but you have to own what your areas of opportunity are, where maybe your missteps were, it might feel uncomfortable, but if you don't change it, then you're only going to prolong the problem. And it just starts with owning it. And I hope that by me even being vulnerable with saying that, yeah, I am not 100% perfect in how I approach this in any way, but I do know the case. I understand the why, and I'm going to keep doing better and I'm going to keep working harder. That's the attitude that you've got to have with this. You can't live in your shame. It's, you know, it's just not going to be a productive thing for anyone, for your workforce, for your team members, if you live in what you could have done differently, when you have all of these choices in front of you right now to make different choices. I got, I still absolutely do it perfectly. But but I know, and I love you
1: sharing, you know, some of like, Hey, this feels vulnerable for me because here's the thing, Jen, it does for me too, right? I've I've been getting a little tongue-tied earlier because I, I, it's, the emotions that I feel, the the all the things I want to say in such a short amount of time, the, the advice I want to give, the tools I want to provide, the suggestions I have. And I don't have the answers 100% of the time. In fact, I don't even know if I have half the percent of the answers that's needed in this bigger problem of creating systemic equity. I mean, goodness people like that's a big haul for anyone to say, Hey, I'm a subject matter expert in this field. Like absolutely not because <laughs> here's the other thing. And quoting my fave, Dr. Nita Mosby-Tyler, again, saying the first time I ever heard this was from her, that there is no current guidebook to reach nirvana for equity right now in the United States. We are creating that as we speak. It is bumbling on my end through podcasts like this. It is engaging in really, really courageous conversations to Break down those fences. Just get rid of the freaking fence if we really want to talk about equity and engage with another and say, yeah, I want to hear about that story about your four cousins. That is beautiful. That starts to build a connection. I want to tell you a little bit about my background because that is beautiful and that starts to build a connection. And that's how we're going to get through this. That is absolutely the hill that I'm willing to die on. When people ask me, like, well, where do you see the future state of all of this? I see my role no longer even needing to exist. Like truly trying to work myself out of a job. But I see just that beautiful connection between humanity starting to foster and happen. Now, will there always be cases of of power in our our being? Probably, because I think that's just how humans are. I mean, we could probably invite somebody more biological focus on the next talk to help answer some of that in regards to just our human evolution. But nonetheless, that's where I really see the future state of us being open to engaging and just understanding each other at such a deeper level where then we feel empowered and encouraged to come up as individuals and the environment is already set up for us to belong.
0: My gosh, I love this conversation so much (laughs) because it needs to happen. And it's, it's, you know, it can feel, there are no perfect answers. I love that Distinction that you made that like there's not a, a perfect handbook that's going to tell you how to guide this, but there is the the initial mindset, like the belief that you know, we can make change and we can make this look differently and we can create a place that everyone, no matter what they, their background is, their gender, their race, their disability, where they feel included. You know, we we went through this, but I really do want to share your tips that you shared because I, you know, people are really thinking, like, how do I start? Well, obviously, mindset, and you touched on. Um, one of the first ones from your article, which is hold space, but you also talked about don't be afraid to trip up on your words. And I think that this piece is really important because that's going to be the barrier that's going to keep people from not having the conversation because they don't know the perfect thing to say. What did you mean by that? Or how, like, how would you, if you were sitting down talking to our leaders, which is, you know, our, our audience for CrossCom, how would you tell them to, you know, not be afraid to trip up on your own words? hmm
1: so a part of me was was putting that together based on experiences that I have had as a woman of color in the tech sector, but also how I move through organizations as a leader. And that's something I really, really value for myself and believe for myself. I can't be out here afraid to trip up on my words. Now, there is research that I for sure have to own, right? Whether it be on a client meeting and doing my due diligence to understand business challenges, forecasts, whatever that prepare me. But still, when I show up, I'm not worried about the nuts and bolts of how perfect I might sound because A, that's not really who I am anyway. Um, But B, it's bigger than that because what's the quote people aren't always going to remember what you said but they're going to remember how you how you made them feel and that's the bigger piece that I just want to remind everybody especially as we head into these waters that are going to be unfamiliar and are going to be ever-changing and probably at a very rapid pace that sure do your due diligence and come up and make sure that you're trying your best to understand the language that's being used um, especially as it relates to your organization but it's bigger than that. It is really understanding the the impact over the intent of your messaging and of your words.
0: I love that. Thinking about how are you making someone feel? Are they feeling safe? Are they feeling heard? Because at a human level, we all want to feel seen and heard. Do you provide that space for them to feel that way? That's where you're starting. Mm-hmm. It may not be, you know, Perfect. It may feel a little clunky at first, but it's still, are you intentionally working to create that connection with someone, that space where they, they can Mm -hmm. feel safe? You know, you'd also touch, I guess, one of the important things to talk about is is some leaders are listening, like, hey, what can I do? How can I bring this change into my organization? What are the potential blind spots or barriers that organizations or leaders could fall trap to that would maybe prevent them from getting that desired result that they have of creating that inclusive space?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I think I hate to throw out the word bias right now, because I think that in and of itself deserves its own talk, because it's become such a buzzword that I think people hear bias and go, oh, no, like, ugh. and bias, again, is a part of who we are innately as humans. And it's not wrong by definition. But it when it starts to put on blind spots for us, that's then then start to hinder, especially groups that are already underrepresented, that's when it becomes problematic. So I think checking for biases that might be implicit, especially as leaders, is very, very important. But I think overall, when I think about the misses that I've witnessed from organizations as they look on to enhance their DE&I strategy or their journey is you have to start with a strong foundation. And again, that foundation is going to vary, but you need some strong table legs here. And that's usually because what happens is, let's say they don't have the funds to you know, hire for somebody to do this full-time. And if you do, I, I hope you are, because that's important. But they have somebody maybe that wants to lead this due to the passion or a collective or an ERG, a council, what have you. And then something happens with one of those people and they leave or they switch roles or they grow up in the company and then there's not a lot of sustainable foundation left. But I always think that this is like building a house. You have to have a strong foundation and strong support. The upkeep, the continued maintenance, again, back to the OCM, organizational change management approach, or whatever KPI, KPIs you want to implement within that, to be able to continue to check back and say, all right, it's time to check up on this, or it's time to go enhance and fix that. And then... Building in a way that's going to be accessible for all. And accessibility will be up to you and your organization to really understand and maybe forecast a little bit too for individuals that might come into your organization that you're not currently planning for, but still creating that level of accessibility. And then I don't know, when it comes to building that perfect home, you want it to be welcoming. You want people to feel like it's a home and that they can come in and take their shoes off and relax. So How you decorate, how you align things is going to be key critical too for how you build a sustainable program. And that's the really beautiful thing about diversity, right? Going back to that variety. Your home is going to look different from my home and that is okay. In fact, that's encouraged, it's beautiful. It's art at that sense, it's a messiah, but let's set it up that we are
0: welcoming people and inviting people into our space. Yes, I. You know, I love again. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring it back to how you had called out the current state versus the future state and a behavioral change initiative. Because you talk about maintenance. You know, we have those great Mm -hmm. change ideas, whether it's you know around the realm of DE and I or anything that we can have those. But if we if we don't stop and do those checkpoints and think, are we getting it right? Where's our opportunity? What are we doing wrong? And then incorporating that data. We can't possibly create that strong foundation or that house that we want. So, you know, remembering this is a change strategy. We've got to check in with it. It's not just a one and done, like throwing this out there, see how it goes, that it's going to require you to think differently. Maybe you even make a misstep in how you do it, which I know that there probably are some organizations that are have the right heart with this right now, but they're probably maybe are a little tone deaf because they don't recognize how they're coming across hey, at least you are working towards it, but also owning that. Like, you know what? Did we have everything? Did we check this by how someone would feel? Because I I know there's, you know, a lot of organizations even wanting to just facilitate these conversations so abruptly that they're forgetting that this is pretty private. It's pretty vulnerable. Like, you've got to be mindful of that and tactful of how you go about it and check in. Like, did you get it right? Did you come on too strong in a way that maybe made people feel even more alienated? You know, check in with yourself. It's it's maintenance as a change management strategy. I'm not sure if anything yet. Yeah, yes, <laughs> like, yes. Nope. I thank. You. I love.
1: I love the play on this, and I think the privacy from the individual aspect, sure. And I think maybe that's where every actual great initiative needs to start is with self and some of the self uncovering and the why determination there. And this was the other thought that I had earlier that that ghosted me, but it's now starting to come together. I feel like we're, we're getting into it more and more and more, and I'm just so happy to be here right now. But it's the individual mindset to check in that abundance, abundance mindset. I think a lot of times when I talk with people or catch wind of people that are struggling to want to rally behind the initiatives regarding DE&I are struggling with that abundance mindset. Their thought process is, well, if they get some, what am I going to lose? Or, you know, if we're focusing on these promotions, well, me as as a white man, am I not going to get considered for promotions anymore? What does this mean? And that's not the right mindset. That is a feast or famine mindset. And that's what's fueling a lot of the inequity in our systems today. And that is a hard mindset shift. I definitely do not have all the answers for that. But I think that, to me, is a critical Steps that we all have to take because it, it impacts all of us to varying degrees and under varying circumstances. But this feast or famine, this lack of abundance mindset is what will continue to prevent us from moving forward as a society.
0: Yeah, we have to recognize that it is a community. We are interconnected. We, you know, have to recognize that if I succeed, you can succeed. If you succeed, I can succeed. Mm-hmm. If I help you, even if you think of the basis of leadership, leadership is also mm-hmm. helping other people be the best that they can be. And sometimes that means delegating to them. Sometimes that means giving them different opportunities that, yeah, you could do or you would want to do. But you, together we rise, understanding that by helping someone else, by ensuring that there is equity, by doing that, it doesn't mean that you fail. It means that we all mm-hmm. win. Good. You know, there's so many emotions. I like. I wanted to cry earlier, right? Because it, it is such a sensitive thing. Because to me, it comes down to leadership and seeing people as people, and understanding that the more that we can value and see each other's differences, and also like stand up for each other. Like, hey, if I wouldn't want that done to me, like why would I let it happen to someone else? Like, I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to be an ally. I am going to also stand up and have that abundant mindset because I know that if we all have the opportunity to be the best that we can be, to be valued for who we are, we together can create greater things. We can solve more problems probably than what we create because so much of it comes Mm -hmm. from that division. Like there's just so much upside from bringing everyone to the table to feel seen and heard. And, you know, it's, it's just something, it's so powerful. And I hope that I know in the beginning, this conversation might've seemed a little bit more tense, but really what we're trying to say is, or, maybe I'll speak for myself, like we've got to create a place where all of us feel like we have a fair shot, where all of us feel respected for being who we are in our authentic place. And that is your role as a leader. Your role as a leader is to not sit and marginalize people to, you know, even if we're going to bias, like, to not hold yourself accountable to checking your biases. Like, hey, where are there flaws in your decision-making process? Your goal is to help everyone thrive. You are in the business of people management if you are a leader. And I don't care if you have the title, you could just be someone that's there as a colleague to someone. But you've got to advocate for the support and safety of your colleagues, of your team, of everyone that's in your organization. That is your absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And I think... To- to add to that too, and just maybe, maybe take it a step further, if I may, around the call to leadership and to anyone listening, because titles aside, right, that is the individual attribute that we all can possess and we all can grow into. And it takes coaching, it takes constant working on and and conditioning. And I think the role of a leader is to not only create all that space and ensure that, you know, that that opportunity is there, but go a step further and actually remove barriers and dig up ways in which you might not even realize barriers are existing. I think that is what real leaders need to be doing, especially in our sectors where there are some of the biggest gaps. Absolutely. And then I think, you know, just just to go back earlier to what you were you, what you were asked was, you know, hey, where do you see some organizations do this wrong? And maybe where I even see organizations do this right, if we wanted to flip it, is they don't make this work a one department problem. They don't put this into one department to completely take on from inception to completion, because that is not mm. actually feasible yet. I think, sure, you might need a department or somebody like me, an instance that, can come in as a practitioner and consult and take a look at current systems and assess data, kind of back to the, to the levels um, of project management, OCM, whatever KPIs that are needed. Sure, for sure, can help support that because that is a full-time role in and of itself. But when it comes to actually weaving this into the DNA of your culture, that will be the responsibility of everybody. And that is also another area that I've become more increasingly passionate about Because of just the burnout that we're starting to see within the sector of diversity and inclusion, especially at the high level. So the higher up you have as it relates to somebody in this diversity role, I encourage leaders to really ask how they're engaging them at the seat of the table as it relates to business problems. Because again, diverse teams and teams that feel included in organizations and that are equitable drive better business results. So why wouldn't you couple that at the conversation when you're talking about enhancing your business?
0: My gosh, I, you know, I really like that you made that distinction. This is not just you know, falling under the umbrella of HR and they're the ones that are supposed to look at your entire organization and figure out this one mm-hmm. size fits all that's going to just make it equitable. Maybe they'll put up some flyers, maybe they'll come up with some values. Like, no, you have to step in with your own attitude and, and checking in, asking, how can I help? Because it has to be Mm -hmm. an everyone effort. It can't just be resigned to one department to try and figure out something that is much bigger than them and requires the behavioral change of probably every single person in your organization to see it in a different way, to unite as one. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Alicia, I have loved our conversation today. Is there anything else that you would want? You know, I know we covered a lot of different topics. Do you feel like there's anything that we left out or, you know, and I know that we're going to share how people can connect with you just to kind of hear different perspectives, maybe have you assist them, but anything else you would want to leave our listeners with in the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: For the days that we feel most polarized from each other fight through that because at the end of the day, we are in this together. We, we just absolutely are. It is going to take a village. It is going to take each and every one of us with some compassion and some, and some love to work through this and dismantle this yarn ball of systems that are interconnected and that are impacting us and reasons that sometimes I have yet to even really uncover and understand so all that to say is that just care and dare, just drive forward. I Audra Lord, I'll, I'll share this quote with her, and you know, talking about the voice piece and not being afraid to trip up on words. Is I am just out here daring to have my voice heard, and when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I'm
0: afraid or not. Wow. That is a pretty powerful way to, you know, wrap up this conversation. And it's a call to action to all of our leaders that are listening. How can you dare to, you know, have your voice heard? How can you, was that dare to care that you had said initially, like, or care to, Mm -hmm. I, I love that. You know, give yourself permission to be brave, to take risks, to be bigger, to have and implement that vision of a place where we can all be seen, respected, valued, heard, loved, all of the things. The the final Alicia, I've loved our conversation so much. The, the final closing question that we do ask every single person that sits on our podcast is what is your leadership habit for success? What do you do to maintain your own success, or maybe that relates to what your current role is, or maybe that's just something outside of that. But what is your leadership habit for success?
1: When I think about the work that I do, and we talked about this too, right? How daunting it can feel and where do we start and how big this all is. I got really inspired since it came out. I I saw it live in Chicago, but then since it's been out, have you seen Hamilton yet?
0: No, I had tickets, but now I'm <laughs> not going to see it. Ooh, COVID. Sorry, to sorry to bring
1: that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of one of the, the major characters in that and the nemesis, if you will, of, of the musical, I won't give too much away for those that haven't seen it, is Aaron Burr. And he's got a line in there that talks about you are the one thing in life you can control. And so when I think about my habit for leadership success, And I also got this from a dear mentor of mine and one of my first directors here in Denver was control what you can control. Yeah,
0: focus on what you can control. That's fantastic advice. And there's power in that, right? Because then we Mm -hmm. can see the way that we can add value. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us on The Leadership Habit. I have loved our conversation. Thanks for going there. Thanks for also just, you know, showing that we can have these conversations and we can do them in a way that is productive. We can do them in a way that gives people compassion. Like I I just really appreciate you being on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me, girlfriend. It's been a pleasure and I really look forward to continuing this journey with you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Alicia. It was something that will always stick with me and I know that I learned and gained a lot of additional insight in what I can do as a leader to be more inclusive. And I hope you did too. If you want to connect with Alicia, feel free to connect with her on LinkedIn. You can find her name in our show notes if you want to see the spelling. In addition, if you liked today's episode, don't forget to share it with your friends. Share it with other leaders that are actively working to create more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplaces. And of course, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service and stay with us for this entire month as we cover the very important topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion.